Hello, friends, and welcome to this special Pentecost Sunday service. Uh, the sermon title today is Asking for Pentecost Power. Asking for Pentecost Power. This is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, it's, a, it's a day in the church calendar where we remember that the Holy Spirit was given that day to the church. He came down from heaven as the promise of the Father, as the great celebration of Jesus, and He made a profound difference. Now, for those of, us, uh, those of you who know us, you know that we're not a very liturgical church at all. We don't tend to follow other people's religious traditions very closely. We really do try to follow the Word of God closely. But today I sense it's a little different because there's some things that are different about this year and obviously COVID has a lot to do with that. For the first time in 2000 years, the, the whole world, basically, the church around the whole world has been driven back into their homes, hunkered down with a threat of death outside, which is exactly the way God told these people to celebrate the first Passover. And it was fascinating to me that the, right at the peak of this COVID thing was over this time of Passover. And for the first time in 2000 years, most of the church around the world celebrated it as the first celebration of Passover and as Jesus and his disciples celebrated Passover. They celebrated with the blood of a lamb on the doorposts in Moses' day, and they ate roasted lamb with bitter herbs with their shoes on their feet and their, uh, and their tunics tucked into their belt as though they were ready to go because God had said, I want you to eat it like this. I'm going to bring about a great freedom for you. I'm going to take you out of slavery. I'm going to set you free. So I want you to be ready. I want you to eat this meal in faith. And even though that night felt like just like any other night, there was something around, almost like a crackling in the atmosphere. People began to believe God could actually set us free. And they, the very next day, they were released by the Egyptians. They said, just go, just go. And they celebrated from then onwards, not only the, 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 the day of Passover, but the very next day, they celebrated another feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread because they got out so early in the morning that they, the yeast in their bread didn't have time to rise. And so this great emancipation resulted for God's people, and they walked free on that day after they celebrated this great Passover. And they plundered Egypt of all its treasures on the way out. Now, that, that, that beautiful feast was followed 50 days later by the feast called Passover because God had brought his people out of slavery and he brought them into this place where he was going to make a unique, a specific nation out of them. And the way he did that was that he called them to a holy place and he gave them his understanding of what he wanted, the standard by which he wanted them to live. And these were the guiding principles and uh, that this former group of slaves were now using to be a called out people, a nation of priests to their God. And Moses came down the mountain that day with all of the commandments of God written on tablets of stone. And he found that the nation was given over to idolatry. They couldn't wait for Moses. And so they made themselves some gods and they began to worship him. Now, it wasn't a day of great celebration because uh, Moses smashed the, the, those tablets on the golden calf that they'd made and he said, stop all this nonsense. And uh, some people just wouldn't stop. And so Moses said, if anybody wants to serve the Lord, join me in the tribe of Levi. I said, we're with you. And he said, run through the camp and kill anybody who refuses to stop. And the Bible teaches about 3,000 people died that day. The day the law came down, was the day 3,000 people died. But mark this fe feast of Pentecost. 
Now, both of these feasts were celebrated by the Jews for years until Jesus came to be the fulfillment of the Feast of Passover. He and his disciples, just like they had done for thousands of years, sat in an upper room of a house and celebrated Passover together. They ate, they ate roasted lamb with bitter herbs. And Jesus at that meal uh, reached out the cup. The third cup of the meal was called the cup of salvation. And he took the cup and he said, this is the cup in my body, which we've just celebrated earlier. Angel of death was waiting outside. And Jesus at the meal tasted the bitter herb of uh, betrayal by one of his closest friends. And uh, the fulfillment of that feast after they'd celebrated this, Jesus went out, he was captured, he was beaten all night, and then he was crucified the next day. And his death brought about the emancipation from sin for any who believe. Now, we celebrate that great emancipation every time we eat the meal as we just did previously. His body and his blood for us bring us great freedoms. He was made sin with our sinfulness so that we could be made right with his righteousness. He was punished so that we could be released. He was put to death so that we could taste life. And likewise, now, when Jesus had finished the Passover, he said to his disciples, now I want you to go back and wait in Jerusalem because there's a new fulfillment of Pentecost coming. Something profound is going to happen. So the disciples went and wait and they find themselves back in a large upper room of a house and they're waiting together and praying, waiting because Jesus said, it is so good for you. You have no idea how good your life is going to be when the Holy Spirit comes. Now, up into that mind, the Holy Spirit was a very distant person of the Godhead. He was somebody that very, very few people actually ever had an encounter with. But Jesus had just told his disciples, I'm going away and I'm going to send the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit to you. And it's a good thing for you. And he said, I don't want you to go out trying to preach this gospel until the Holy Spirit has come upon you and he empowers you to do so. So they're all together and waiting. Now, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says there was, a, there was a sound like a violent wind. It sounded like a hurricane was blowing and yet not a wind was stirring. And so the whole city is out because of this weird phenomenon that's going on. And the Holy Spirit comes into the room, fills the 120, uh, tongues of fire appear over their head. He empowers them to speak in the languages of 120 different languages. They run out into the streets. And everybody's already out in the streets and they are preaching the good news about Jesus in many different languages. What a great day that was. And it's such a, a vast juxtaposition to the first Pentecost because Moses came down and 3,000 people died. And the scriptures are careful to record that on that day of Pentecost, about 3,000 people were added to the book of life. So we come back to this idea, what's so special about this year? Well, this Passover was the first time in 2,000 years that everybody had been driven back into their homes. And we celebrated it much like they did. This Pentecost is the first time in 2,000 years that we're waiting and ready to burst out into the streets. We're, we're done with waiting. It's time. It's interesting to me that this has been the first time in 2,000 years where orphanages globally around the world have been shut down. Orphans have been sent back into homes. Governments have mandated people staying indoors. And the church has a yearning on us to see the glory of God. No longer business as usual. I don't want to go back to the old normal. I want to step into a new beautiful normal. So that mood 
has been replicated in our time. And I feels like God has something to do. Something is up. There is electricity, ecstatic in the air. The agenda of God is stirring. As C.S. Lewis would have said, Aslan is on the move. You can sense it in the atmosphere. So in this moment, in this season, where we celebrate the Holy Spirit's coming to the church, it would be good, I thought, to invite you to have a personal encounter with Him. Before we have that opportunity, which we're going to do at the end of the sermon, to pray and say, Holy Spirit, I need more of you. I just want to read you a few things that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus begins his discourse with his disciples about the Holy Spirit. He's trying to introduce them to the idea. These are people, remember, that have never even thought it possible that they should receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, you have no idea how beautiful this is going to be. Verse 15 in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate that is the same as helper or pleader to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. The first thing the Bible says about the Holy Spirit is that he would help us. He would be an advocate. Just as Jesus has gone back to the Father to be our advocate to the Father, the Father sent the Holy Spirit to us to be His advocate to us. He helps us. He will show us, this is what you ought to be doing. No, oh, don't go there. Let me, let me help you. He is fundamentally sent to be a helper, the one who will watch over us. I just want to say to you, there are so many people right now with so many different things and so many different ideas. Uh, I, I, don't, I can't remember when I've had this many uh, emails from conflicting sources who all want to go, we should do this, we should do that, we should go there, we should go here. Uh, and I think this is a moment for us all to just take a pause, take a breath and say, Holy Spirit, could you help us? Could you show us? Could you give us wisdom? He really does want to help you. And Jesus said, look, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I myself will come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit and I will help you just like I've helped you all this time. I will not back off. The first thing we need to know is that Holy Spirit has come to help. Do you need any help? Would you dare to ask him, Lord, I need some help. Would you help me? The second thing Jesus said as he was continuing on, the same discourse to his disciples. John 14 verse 25. All of this I've spoken while I was still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you about all things. Second thing the Holy Spirit is going to do is teach you. Now, I don't know about you, but there is something profound about the way he comes into our life. And he starts to teach us things, things that we don't know, things that we don't understand, places we've never been, ideas we've never had. He will begin to teach us. And there is a certain willingness to be instructed. See, the Holy Spirit is not going to force himself on you. He's not going to drive these lessons into you. He's not going to beat them into you. He responds best to those who call on him and say, Lord, would you please teach me? Could you give me understanding? Would you show me? Holy Spirit wants to teach. And Jesus said, this is what's going to happen when the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you. 
My friends, I don't know what you're looking for and I don't know what you need, but I, here's what I think I can guarantee. The Holy Spirit has come to teach. He has come. He's available. And if you believed in Jesus, He's taken up residence in you. But you can ask for more. You can say, Lord, would you teach me some more? Would you open my ears? I want to waken up in the mornings with your voice in my ears. I want to go to bed at night with your whisper in my spirit. I want to be taught by the Lord. Would you show me? Show me how to act. Show me how to be. Show me what to say. Show me who to connect with. Show me, Lord. Teach me. He'll help us. He'll teach us. The third thing Jesus said is He'll remind us. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach us about all things, and He will remind you of everything that I've said to you. It's uh, everything Jesus said is profound. Everything Jesus speaks to any of us is beautiful. Every time we read the Word, it has the essence of life in it. And the Holy Spirit, uh, nobody can take that all in all the time, but the Holy Spirit loves to work with us. And the Holy Spirit will remind us of things that Jesus has said to you. Many, many times as I'm going through life, I'll discover the Holy Spirit's whisper, and He's going, remember that? Remember that scripture? Remember that promise from God? Remember that idea that came to you? And I'm so grateful because Jesus told a parable about the cares and the pressures of this life that they'll, they'll, they'll drain the life of God out of you. They'll, they'll try and choke the kingdom seed on the inside of us. And I know that, that so many things pulling and so many different opinions coming, it's so much easier to just say, Lord, could you remind me of the important things I need today? Keep reminding me, Lord Holy Spirit. And, and so this is one of the things that Jesus said, you can celebrate this. When He comes, He's going to help us. He's going to teach us. He's going to remind us. Won't you ask Holy Spirit to help remind you about what you need to know? The fourth thing Jesus said is that He will testify to us. In John 15, 26, Jesus went on. He said, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father... He will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus. He will say things and He will brag on Jesus and He'll, he'll, he'll try and tell the truth about Jesus. Jesus said He's called the Spirit of Truth who's going to testify about me. Now, the Holy Spirit's going to testify every time he's in a circumstance and somebody says something that's evil about Jesus or, or puts him down or doesn't give him the right amount of glory. The Holy Spirit is careful to go, no, 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 that's not who he is. Let me show you. But he said, now, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to be doing that. And I want you to do that too. He's going to testify. I want you to agree with him. I want you to be bold. I want you to declare the good and beautiful things. Be in partnership with the Spirit of truth and testify. Say, no, 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 that's not who He is. Let me tell you who He is. Let me tell you what He's done in my life. And the Holy Spirit loves to testify about who Jesus is. He loves to show us how beautiful and profound and great Jesus is. So I just want to challenge you. I want to dare you to come to this place where you say, Lord, would you testify to me? Would you make Jesus big on the inside of me? Would you give me insight into who He is? Would you testify about the beauty of Jesus in my life? And friends, you and I can desire that too. The fifth thing Jesus said that He would do is that He would prove the world to be wrong. 
This is in John 16, verse 8 to 11. It says, when He comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people don't believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father. And about judges, judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to come and, and say to the world who are headlong in, in, in destruction, who uh, cannot have any life in them, who are missing the opportunity to know God, who, whose lives are in a mess. He's going to say the Holy Spirit's going to testify to them. Hey, don't go down that way. Now, many people have thought that this is the Holy Spirit's come to beat up on sinners. No, he hasn't come. This is not an issue of beating up. This is an issue of telling people, hey, hey, if you go down that road, that's just destruction. Man, your life gets messed and mangled. Don't go down that road. So the Bible says he will prove the world. No, 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 that's wrong. Don't do that. And at some stage, if you're going to help somebody, if some stage somebody you care about, there has to come this moment where you go, that, that is going to hurt you. Please don't go that way. And that's what the Bible says. He's going to prove the world to be wrong. They're wrong about their view of God. They're wrong about their view of sin. They're wrong about their view of judgment. People go, sin doesn't matter. It's your life. You can do whatever you want. No, no, the, the real testimony is sin that is, is going to significantly damage you. Well, I'm about righteousness. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm mostly, I, I do on average more good things than I've done bad things. No, the Holy Spirit's going to prove that to be wrong. No, if you just sin one place, you become a lawbreaker and you're in danger. You, what you really need is a Savior. And that's why Jesus says, listen, I can save you. I can, I can deliver you. I can bring beauty into your life. I can bring wholeness. I can prosper and bless your life. And the Holy Spirit is constantly testifying about that. So He'll help us. He'll teach us. He'll remind us. He'll testify to us. He'll prove the world to be wrong. And number six, He'll guide us into all truth. Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, much more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Oh, I love this part of what the Holy Spirit does. He guides us gently into, no, come this way. There's truth. Because there are so many things that sound right. There are so many things that appear logical. Uh, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. And so sometimes when we're going down a road that's going to lead to destruction, the Holy Spirit's just going to gently lead us. No, that's not, that's not truth. And sometimes it looks good to us, but He's going, no, no, come this way. Much as you parents do to your, your young children. Oh, come this way. There's a danger there. No. And to them, it, it doesn't always appear that the wisdom of your way. But you know, the motive behind that is not to harm them or to cut good things out of their life, but to protect them and to keep them. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will guide us into all truth. Do you want to be guided? Do you want His, his guiding hand on your back? Won't you ask Him, Holy Spirit, would you guide me? Next, he said, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. 
See, the Holy Spirit is not going to just go off on a tangent. He's not going to do his own thing. The Holy Spirit is exceptionally faithful. You'll discover this about him. He's an extremely faithful person. And he is going to uh, just speak to you about what God's plan is, what Jesus wants. That's who he's going to speak to. He doesn't go off on his own. He's not trying to make a name for himself. He's trying to make Jesus' name great. He's trying to bring honor to the Father. He doesn't speak on his own. He will tell us what he hears. Jesus went on, he will glorify me, which is the eighth thing he'll do. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive uh, what he will make known to you. All the Father has is mine, Jesus said. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So he will tell us what he hears, but he'll always glorify Jesus in the process. The Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus. He wants to make Jesus great. He's going to make his name beautiful. And if you let the Holy Spirit have control of you, you'll find Jesus being made beautiful through your life. Jesus will receive glory through your life when you surrender to the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. And the last thing that I want to talk about is powering to witness. Empower us to witness. That's what the Holy Spirit loves to do. In Acts 1.8, he said, It's not for you to know the times and the dates that have been set by my Father in His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, not upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You will receive power. And that's exactly what happened. You know the story. Power of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost falls on the church. The church is born. People are empowered. For the first time, ordinary people like you and I are suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. He has come to take up residence, not just to visit temporarily and leave them again, but to take up residence in them because they have been made holy, not by their own effort, but by the efforts of Jesus, which are perfect forever. They've been made holy perfectly forever so the Holy Spirit can take up residence in them because your holiness is not dependent on your efforts. It was dependent on the efforts of Jesus. And as long as you believed in Jesus, as long as you keep on believing in Jesus, you remain perfectly holy and the Holy Spirit remains uh, as as an abiding person in your life. He will empower you to witness, Jesus said. Do not try and witness without the Holy Spirit's power. Now, this Pentecost, we're trusting the Holy Spirit to empower us to witness. We need to get out into our community. We need to go to people and say, you know what? God loves you. Let me demonstrate it for you. I dare you to pray for people. I dare you to step out on the water and ask bold requests of God. Go to people who don't know Him and say, what do you need? Ask boldly because the Holy Spirit will come to empower you to be a witness. Pray bold prayers. Step out with bold declarations about who Jesus is. Say to them, this is what he's done in my life. You'll be surprised at how he confirms his word to you. So let me run through those eight things again. He's here to help us. He's here to teach us. He's here to remind us. He's here to testify to us. He's here to prove the world is wrong. He's here to guide us into all truth. He's here to tell us what he hears from Jesus. He's here to glorify Jesus. And he's here to empower us to witness. I said, Greg, but I received the Holy Spirit many years ago when I believed. Yeah. Uh, Ephesians 5 says, 
Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep on being filled. Keep on being overflowed with the Holy Spirit. This is an ongoing practice that the Scriptures invite you to. Keep on saying, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Overflow through me. Fill me in new Holy Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, lastly, I want to end with this idea. In Luke 11, when Jesus was teaching His disciples how to pray, He brought up this issue of the Holy Spirit. In verse 11, He says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. It's a fascinating idea. Jesus positions our receiving of the Holy Spirit, this ongoing infilling, in a, in a place where He says, if you're a good father and you, you don't give evil things to your children, you don't shortchange your children when they ask for something good. He said, how much more, your heavenly Father, if you ask Him, He will give you the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, this is the moment that I want to just encourage you to open your heart and say, Holy Spirit, I would like you to come into my life afresh and anew. Because I'm going to pray in just a minute. And I'm telling you something. The promise that Jesus gave, the promise that Joel gave, the promise that the book of Acts shows happened, is that God said, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And if you're hungry, if you're open, if you're willing, if you say, Holy Spirit, I really am hungry, I think you'll have an encounter with Him, a fresh encounter. So whether you've just been a believer for five seconds or 500 years, I am here to tell you, hey, you can say, Holy Spirit, I'm hungry afresh, and He will fill you afresh. And I want to pray that prayer. Why don't you pray it with me, please? Father, Jesus told us that you would give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And your word declares, Lord, that we should keep on being filled with the Spirit. So here we are, Father, as a church coming before you and saying, Lord, would you fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit? So right now, Holy Spirit, I open my heart and my life to you. Once again, Lord, I know that you have the right to rule. I know that no one can stand against you. I know you're the kindest person I've ever met and you're the most powerful person I've ever met. And I know, Lord, that you could easily overpower any of us. But Lord, I'm so thankful for your graciousness and your kindness and your gentleness. So here I am, Lord. I open my heart and my life one more time to you and say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me again? Would you fill me afresh? I want to keep on being filled with you. And Lord, I want you to do everything in my life and through my life that Jesus promised you would do. I receive you now in Jesus' name. Right where you are, just drink deep. Just breathe deep and let the Holy Spirit fill you afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with us, friends. We wish you a very happy Pentecost and a great month that lies ahead.